0: Bibles please to the book of 1 Kings chapter 2, 1 Kings chapter number 2. I want to read the first four verses of this chapter this morning. Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all of the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest, and whithersoever thou turnest thyself. "...that the Lord may continue his word which he spake concerning me, saying, If thy children take heed to their way to walk before me in truth, with all of their heart and with all of their soul, there shall not fail thee, said he, a man on the throne of Israel." I would love to take the time to go through all four of those verses in an expository fashion, and deal with every word, every phrase, and every little fragment of, of that part of Scripture. But uh, that's not what we're going to do this morning. Uh, those that are uh, fanatical, at least I would say, about expository preaching wouldn't appreciate what I'm going to do. But that's all right. They're probably not here. Uh, they're probably preaching somewhere else, and we're going to we're going to chat for a few moments about something that i that I think is very, very important, and certainly you can see the connection to uh, to what David says here. You know there are a lot of jokes about uh, husbands and fathers, uh, certainly since the days of Archie Bunker, and everybody liked the Archie Bunker show. It was funny as it could be, but uh, but man, oh man, I mean, they did a number on us fathers. They made us all look like a bunch of blooming idiots. And there are a lot of jokes about uh, about fathers and husbands. It's kind of like the one fellow was boasting to his wife. He's, you know, he'd been working out a little bit and feeling good about himself. And he came in all hot and sweaty. And he said, I have the body of a Greek god. And she looked at him, she said, I thought Buddha was Chinese. And uh, so, you know, they don't always cooperate with you, you know, you get yourself in trouble. Another another husband's talking, he's bragging about having a photographic memory, you know. And uh, so she went in, got her purse and pulled out a $5 bill and said, said, here, go buy some new film. And, and, you know, some of us not near as smart and as good as we think we are. Well, you know, the truth of the matter is a little bit of humor does us all good, but being a good father is no joking matter. I mean, this is serious business. And when we consider the condition of our country today and our churches today, when we think about the outright attack against the institution of the family It's really hard to not be serious about this message. As Dr. James Dobson said several years ago, he said, Our very survival as a nation will depend on the presence or absence of masculine leadership in the home. And that's what I'm preaching about this morning. The title of the message is simply, Manliness. And as Dr. Dotson said, he believes the future of our nation depends upon the masculine leadership in the home. Uh, J.G. Holland wrote years ago, God give us men, the time demands strong minds, great hearts, true faith, and ready hands. And it's still that way today. I want you to try to put yourself there in David's sandals as you as we read this morning and uh, I, I don't know all of the details of how the situation might have played out. He might have said, you know, son, come to my bedside, you know, I, I'm I'm too feeble to come and to see you. I don't know the details of that, but I know when somebody knows that they're speaking uh, they're speaking some of their last words. They weigh one very carefully. He didn't say to Solomon, Hey, let, did you hear that joke about the, you know... Uh, no, there's no time for jokes now. He's about ready to die. And he is trying to not only impart some wisdom, but to to give a challenge to his son to do what is right. He said in verse number 2, I go the way of all of the earth. Now notice, Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. Well, that was important to David, but let me tell you, that's important to God. Show thyself a man. That's what manliness is all about. In fact, whenever you read over there in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and God is warning us there about being effeminate. In fact, He says that's an evidence that a person's really not saved. It is a sin in the sight of God to be effeminate. If you're a male, you ought to be a man. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. God demands a distinction in the sexes. Manliness is important to God. It ought to be important to us. But first of all, we must define what manliness is. And how, how do you define manliness? And this is where we really go astray. Most people don't have a clue as to what makes a real man. And I doubt that we'll ever figure out exactly whether it's altogether nurture or or nature. Both of them play a part, by the way. We'll never understand, you know, if somebody says, well, it's just in my genes, you know, that I have a propensity to be this way or to be that way or or whatever. And, and there's no doubt about it. Your heritage does play a part uh, in who you are. But so does nurture, and make no mistake about it, we are all influenced by the example for good or bad of those that have gone before It's Like the old saying, you know, like father, like son, there's a lot of truth in that statement. This morning I was getting ready for church, and and I went in and I getting my my tie chain out and I happened to look in the jewelry box and uh, there was my dad's old ring. It's the only ring I can ever remember my daddy ever wearing. It's broke at the bottom, sterling silver ring, turquoise in it. He didn't wear it all of the time. And I thought, you know, I, I'm going to wear that ring today. And uh, my dad meant a, a, a lot to me. He uh, He was a good man in a lot of ways. He was honest. He was hardworking. But he failed in a lot of ways. All the time me growing up, Dad wasn't a Christian. He didn't attend church. Wasn't interested in church or anything like that. And so he had his failures. And and, uh, I can attribute a lot of that to the way he was raised. He had a lot rougher than I did His daddy died whenever he was in eighth grade, and he had to drop out of school. Grandma couldn't take care of all of the kids, so dad being next to the oldest was farmed out to a farmer. And by that, I mean he went and lived with the farmer. He worked all day, every day in the fields, and all he got was room and board. That was it. Grandma couldn't even feed him. He was raised that way and lived that way until he was old enough then finally to get a job working uh, in the timber back down in Ava, Missouri, in that area there, cutting timber, making barrel staves. And Dad had it rough growing up. And so it's no wonder that he wasn't the, the perfect parent. Uh, I'm amazed he turned out as good as he did. But part of the problem was, and you've got to remember, you know, how times have changed. I mean, since I was a boy, things are a lot different today than they were back then. And we're all affected by our childhood. Uh, whenever I was a boy, you, you were taught real men don't cry. I, I never saw my dad cry until, I was, uh, until after I was saved. I never saw a tear in his eye. Never. And then only because my mother had had a total nervous breakdown and I remember seeing Dad for the first time cry when we had to put her in the hospital. Real men don't cry. Suck it up and go on. you got to be tough. And real men don't back down from a challenge. When I was a boy, Dad had a cousin that lived just uh, well within 200 feet of where my great-grandma Susie lived in Ashgrove, Missouri. He owned a pool hall uh, there and a malt shop in the front of the pool hall, Wiggies. And uh, he was an ex-Marine. Of course, the Marines tell me there are no ex-Marines. You're a Marine for life. And Is that true, Brother Ray? <laughs> And uh, he had two boys about my age. I think one was maybe a year older and the other one my age, something like that. And every time we'd go down there, we were made to fight. Now, if you knew my dad, you'd know this was really out of character for him to provoke something like that. But they seemed to take delight and get out there and fight. And you didn't dare cry. So so, you know, I I grew up with this mentality that in order to be a man, I've got to be tough and not cry and not back down from any challenges. So by the time that I had gone through the 6th grade at York School and was getting ready to go to junior high, I'd thought every kid in that school except the ones that could outrun me or the ones that wouldn't fight me because we had a pecking order and there was a fight on the playground every day, either during school or after school. When you went to school, you was going to come home having been in a fight. That's just the way it was. I'll never forget the first day I went to junior high school. Well, I hadn't quite got there yet. i just got on the school ground. It was another hundred yards or so on up to the, to the school itself. And there were a group of kids there and one of them lives was just two houses down from where I lived, and he had been he had been telling them about his tough neighbor kid or something because when I got there i all, I didn't even know these guys, and I was challenged and they were at least one year older, and back then, junior high went up through the ninth grade, so to make it look better on me, I'll say they were in the ninth grade, and I was entering the seventh they Isn't it amazing the tricks your mind plays? They might have been sixth graders. I don't know, but no, really. And so one of them challenged me to a fight. Well, I thought you don't back down. I got out there and he was just knocking the snot out of me. I would never met a kid like this back there at at York School. I didn't have any trouble with those kids back there except Cecil Vaughn, and we kind of tied, you know, but... And and all of a sudden uh, the tears come to my eyes and old Kenny that idiot I wish I knew where he was there. he's he was the next door neighbor's bragging about how tough I was he said he said oh he's, he's starting to cry you better look out now you're in trouble and there's some other kid over standing there laughing and I said what well, what you you think you can do any better you want some of it and well, he come out there and he beat the snot out of me. The first day in junior high school, I got beat up twice before I even got in the door. That'll take the fun out of school. Well, by the time I went to, and finally got to high school, well, that was the greaser period. And man, that's whenever you had to be careful because just about everybody had a switchblade knife. You know, you... You kids nowadays hear about how it was back whenever the gang started and the greasers and all of that. Well, let me tell you, that's the way it was. You better be careful who you pick on because they had a switchblade knife in their pocket. But there we stood down what was known as Nicotine Alley. That was between the gym and the apparatus room and the main classrooms there in the high school, Central High School in Springfield, Missouri. It was Nicotine Alley. And you could see all all of us guys was either doing one of those Jimmy Dean things where you're leaning back against the wall like this, the cigarette hanging out of your mouth and your shirt opening your collar up, we was either doing that or we was doing the strut down on them like peacocks, just you're just daring somebody to say something. I thought that's. What it was to be a man—I didn't know. Nobody had ever really taught me what manliness really was. And up until up when when we got married, that's the kind of a nut job my wife married. By the way, that's. Let me tell you something this morning. You don't define manliness by the size of your biceps, your love of sports, your toughness, and stuff like that. That's not the way you define manliness. And whenever I look through the Bible, I find at least four different things that stick out like bright lights reminding me of what it means to really be a man. One of those things is labor. You'll remember that Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter number 5 and verse number 8, If a man provide not for his own, he's worse than an infidel. God puts a premium on hard work. And throughout history, men have been looked upon as the protector and the provider of the family. Boys play, men Work. A boy is a getter. He wants this, he wants that. He always wanted to get something, but a man is a giver. He's somebody that makes a contribution. sometimes, Sometimes we forget the importance of being the breadwinner in the family, the importance of hard work. Bev and I had a long talk the other day and uh, I was talking about things that are too personal that I I'm not going to talk about and and uh anyway, during the course of the conversation that uh I I my daddy said something to me whenever I was growing up. I, I'll never forget to stand out in the backyard and I was supposed to be mowing the yard. That's when you had them old push mowers. The push mowers without the motor on them. You, you were the motor. Man, he got mad and run out there and grabbed me and yanked me off of that mower and, and rebuked me for the, well, he should have. And he said, you'll never amount to a blankety, blank, blank, blank thing. You're going to be good for nothing. And I'm telling you, I'd heard Daddy get on to me before, but that day for some reason it went through me like a a knife in my heart. And I determined right then, there is nobody going to be able to call me lazy from now on. And every job I ever went on, I worked as hard or harder than anybody else. Now, I, was, I wasn't a man. Don't misunderstand me. Because I'm the same nut that was back there in grade school and junior high and high school. I was the same kind of guy. I was just bigger. Not much, but, but older. Maybe that would be a better word. But let me tell you something, it is important that you assume your responsibility as the breadwinner in the family, and that you get off of your rear and do whatever you got to do to put food on the table. God values hard work. But not only that, the next word that comes to mind is the word leader. And I say that because over in Ephesians chapter 6, whenever... Paul is talking about our responsibility toward our children. He said, you fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture, that's the training, and the admonition, the reproof of the Lord. There's more to being a real man than just being a hard worker. There have been a lot of men that, that worked hard, a lot of men that provided everything in their family except the leadership the family needed. That's why families are foundering today. People say, well, the women are taking over. Baloney, they're not taking over. The men are too stinking lazy usually to do their job as a leader in the family and somebody's gotta see that it's done. Same things true in churches. I hear people talk about, uh, especially the little old country churches. You know, about ninety percent women and ten percent men. Well, it's no wonder the the women are running everything. They can't get the men to do anything. There's more to being a man than being a hard worker. You need to provide the leadership in your family. A nation needs a president. A state needs a governor. The city needs a mayor, the church needs a pastor, the army needs a general, the team needs a coach, and your family needs a leader, and that's you. Stand up and be counted and lead your family. Not only, not only must you labor, not only must you lead, but if we could just have one word and just put it all in one word, you know what it would be, right? It's love. Whenever Paul said, "Husbands love your wives, even as Christ loved the church, and he gave himself for it," you say, "Well, that's all about a husband-wife relationship. Doesn't have anything to do with fathers." I mean, hey, the best thing you can do for your children is to love their mother. And without love, all of the hard work in the world is not going to be enough. Without love, leadership strutting around, pointing out the fact that I'm the man of the family, I'm going to run the show, I'm going to tell you what to do. Without love, you're going to do more harm than good. Love is absolutely essential to everything that we do as a Christian. We ought to be tough, but yet we ought to be tender. We ought to be steel, but we ought to be velvet. Tough and tender. But then there's another word that comes to mind, and that's the word loyalty. And looking back at our text, and where David says to Solomon in verse number three, says, And keep the charge of the Lord. By God, to walk in His ways. Keep His statutes and His judgments and and His testimonies as is written in the Law of Moses. In other words, it's clear from what He's saying to His Son that I expect you to follow God's Word, to be loyal to the Word of God, to keep His commandments. And that would include in keeping your commitments Remember a time whenever people used to say a man's word is his bond. In other words, whatever he said, you could trust it, you could depend on it. Well, sadly, a lot of folks have destroyed their credibility because of their unfaithfulness. You can't depend on them to do half of what they say. I don't know how better to describe manliness but than by the use of those four words and putting those words together, melding them together in one. That's what manliness is all about. Now let me me say something else about manliness, and that is that manliness ought to be desired. Men are made, not born. You might have been born a male, but nothing in this world can make you a man except your desire to be a man. And and sadly, it seems like like with a lot of folks, they don't care about becoming a man. They're kind of content to being whatever they turn out to be. Let me tell you three reasons why every boy should desire to be a man. Number one, that's what God wants you to be. That should be the only reason you need that God expects you as a boy to become a man. And the problem is some people are 30, 40, 50, 60 years old, and they're still little boys as far as their character is concerned. That's what's tearing America apart. That's what's hindering our churches and ruining our families. God wants you to be a man. Secondly, that's what other people need for you to be. Did you notice verse number 4 of our text? He said that the Lord may continue His word which He spake unto me concerning, saying, If thy children take heed to their way to walk before me in truth and with all of their heart and with all of their soul, there shall not fail thee, said he, a man on the throne of Israel. In other words, future generations are affected by what you do. Others need you to be the man God desires you to be. But there's another reason, and that is, this is what you need to be. If you are a male, you'll never be truly satisfied until you become a man, or at least you're striving to become a man. There has to be that desire there. You can never be satisfied in the truest sense without striving to fulfill the role that God has given you. And let me say, I know we're talking, this is Father's Day, we're talking to men about men and to boys about becoming a man, but it has the same thing is true of you women. I love the word lady. I, whenever we renewed our vows several years ago, that was the one song I insisted that we play that Lady, that song means so much to me. That word means so much to me. The word gentleman and the word lady, those are so very important. Boy, I, you better pray. I, I, I'm, I'm just, you don't you know what's going on in my mind right now. I, I'm fighting hard to try to stay on track with this message. Because there's so little concern in our world today about people becoming the person that God designed them to be and desires them to be. And it's like, I don't care. I, we don't even you know what stinking bathroom to go to anymore. Uh, how dumb is that? But let me tell you, there's something else about manliness we need to think about. Not only must it be desired and defined, it needs to be developed because you don't become a man by desire alone. My daddy was five foot eight, strong as he could be. His his arms, he had those kind of muscles that he was ripped. Man, I wanted to be like Daddy, but my bill was like the Loveland side of the family, kind of on the pudgy side. And but one thing about it is, it didn't take me long to get up as tall as Daddy. But I wanted to be six foot tall like Uncle Irvin. And boy, you don't know how many times I measured myself in there on that on at the door, you know you. We joke about that. That was true. I'd get in there and, go there and mark that spot and measure, see how tall I I. I, I just, I, I've got to get to be six foot tall. Finally I did. You know what? <laughs> that didn't make me any more of a man than the man in the moon. Becoming a man is something that has to be developed. It's a process. There are things to be learned. There are things that have to be experienced before you develop into a man. It, it, it's just that way. I mean, my land, I, if desire alone, if that was all that was needed, I'd have been Superman. You don't know how many times I tried to get off the ground and I couldn't. I'd run and I'd jump off of a ditch or something and put my arms out and it never did work. Mom used to say, no wonder Harold David's got flat feet. He's jumped off of every house and building in the whole neighborhood. And I had anything I could climb upon, I jumped out of. You know what? I never did fly. I always hit the ground. Desire alone's not going to make you a man. It's going to take time, number one. You're not going to just wake up one morning and discover, wow, I've become a man. I mean, I'm not just physically, but I am a man. I am, I am now spiritually, mentally, all mature. I've become a man. Doesn't work that way. It takes time. Not only does it take time, it requires learning. Let me make it really simple here. Everything you need to know about being a man is right here in this book. It's all right here. It requires learning. Because God tells us exactly what He expects. But it takes more than that, more than learning, more than time. It requires surrender to God. You'll never become the person that you want to be in your own strength. Only God is able to bring about that transformation. He alone can do that. But it requires surrender on your part. That's where... The rubber meets the road, and that gets right down to where we live. And this is where the problem is so many times. We want to be respected as a man, but we don't want to do the hard work that is involved in being a man, and we don't want to surrender our life to God and give up our rights and do the right thing. We want to keep living like that little boy, getting and doing things that we want to do. And it doesn't work that way. I didn't even start to become a man until after I got saved. And let me tell you this, and I'm through. It should never end. To become the man that you want to be, you need to grow, continue to grow throughout your lifetime. There's no stopping place when it comes to spiritual maturity. We ought to grow until we die. You've heard me say so many times that my definition of backsliding is when we cease to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you reach that point, You might be the smartest person in this building, the most generous person in this building. You might be able to stand up and quote the entirety of the Bible, but the second you stop growing, you are in a backslidden condition. Because there's always room for growth. Because none of us are just like Jesus yet, are we? So we've got a lot of room for improvement. and We ought to keep growing. Now, I know this is Father's Day, I know I've been speaking mainly about men and boys. I've been speaking to everyone, but I want you to know that what I've just said here about becoming the person that God wants you to be applies to every single person in this room. That will be the desire of your heart. I want to be the person God wants me to be, man or woman, boy or girl, I want to be the person God wants me to be. And let me tell you, until you surrender yourself to God's control, you are out of control. You better think about that. Because you might not be in the bar room, you might not be doing this, you might not be doing that and committing those sins, but when you get out of control, you never know how far it might go you start down the highway 70 miles an hour and you lose control of your car, you're out of control. You don't know whether you're going to roll it one time or ten times. You don't know what's going to happen. You can't afford to live your life out of control. And the only way to be into control is to give control over to the Lord. And that's what Paul was talking about when he said, Be ye filled with the Spirit. Because It's through His transforming power, only through His power, that we're able to become the person God wants us to be. It starts with receiving Christ as our Lord and Savior, but it continues on with us day by day by day, yielding ourselves over to His control. Not my will, but thine be done. Let us stand. Father in heaven, How we thank You, Lord, for those true, real men. Those that we have known during our lifetime. Those that have stood before us as an example. Those that have made their contribution to this world and gone on to their reward. And we thank You for for what they've done. And I pray You'll help us today to see the challenge before us. It might be some boy here, eight, nine, ten years old. Lord, challenge his heart right here in this message this morning. I pray you'll remind him of it day after day after day, that he'll not forget the things that we've said, and that it'll be the desire of his heart, not necessarily to play in the Super Bowl or to make the major leagues or to become a millionaire, but the great desire of his heart. Will be to be a man, the kind of man the world needs. And for those that are here today that are unsaved, God speak to their heart. Lead them to Calvary this morning and save them by your grace and for your glory. For we beg it in Jesus' dear name. Amen. While we stand as we